0: Hey, gang, welcome to episode 253 of the No Procinium podcast, the voice of everything immersive. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, coming to you from the No Pro headquarters here in Los Angeles. This week on the show, we've got Brittany Blum and Taylor Myers, two of the co-creators of *Escaton*, which is kind of the, the hottest ticket on the internet on Saturday nights. Uh, it's uh, it's one part cabaret, one part a mysterious alternate reality nightclub uh, that melds uh, puzzles with performance. Uh, html wizardry with zoom in order to create something more than the sum of its parts there you go that's the best way to describe it um more on the team behind it in a second i'm recording this on june 19th 2020 uh june 19th also known as juneteenth that's the day when the emancipation proclamation finally made its way to Texas after two years after it was, uh, signed. Uh, so pretty, pretty important day in, uh, American history and one, uh, that, uh, a lot of white folks, uh, t- didn't really know about until this year, uh, for various reasons, uh, bringing that up one, because uh, today is the day Two, uh, just, just always remember the, the world we know, is only the world we think we know. Uh, there's there's a lot of factors out there that keep us from seeing a broader spectrum of reality. Um, uh, history is a battleground that uh, is never abandoned by those who want to control the present. So just just remember that uh, has has only everything to do with art and culture. Uh, I was going to say has nothing to do with what we're talking about. Nope. Nope has only everything to do with art and culture. Uh, uh that's, that's the, the nature of the thing. I just wanted to mark the day. That's all. Nothing more, nothing less. Uh, let's talk about a few other things uh, that are going on. One, uh, the new everything immersive site, uh, continues to, uh, grow, change, evolve. We're in public beta right now. We're finding lots of bugs, squashing them where we can. Again, shout out to Chris Grimm, uh, who kicked off this project uh, a long time ago, and who's still putting in the hours uh, to make it go uh, completely gratis. Uh, we're not paying Chris, uh, uh, which pains me, because of course you know our income stream is very small. Uh, maybe as yes, the site gets better, the, that'll 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 be able to change somehow. Speaking of which, let's check in on the Patreon. Ah, no new backers on the Patreon. That part was easy. In fact, we've lost uh, five people in the past uh, couple of weeks. Uh, we're down about 25 bucks. So uh, if perchance uh, you feel like helping out, I know I know many of you do already. A significant portion of the listeners of the podcast uh, put put the put the money in. Uh, so I won't hit you up too hard, but spread the good word. Uh, let everybody know because uh, we'd sure like to be here at the end of the year. Let's put it that way. Patreon.com slash no proscenium. On that note, let's talk about our sustaining backers. Mark Baltazar, Jan Budman, Paul F., Lonnie Hansen, Ari Hurston, Sam Kinkin, Samuel Mystery, Sydney Guillory, Jeremy Charles Hahn, Brittany, and Elaine. Thank you all for keeping us alive. Now, uh, I got to go to Escaton. Uh, early-ish in the preview run Uh, and I was super skeptical Uh, like amazingly skeptical so you're gonna do a virtual nightclub kind of McKittrick inspired thing using Zoom alright and I went in and it was charming it was totally charming Uh, probably has a lot to do with the fact that they were working on this thing even before the pandemic, uh, it was going to be a physical installation. We'll talk about that in the show. Uh, The folks behind it have a lot of on the ground experience. Uh, Brittany Blum uh, is the founder and CEO of Chorus Productions. Uh, She's co-producer as well as co-creator on this project. Taylor Myers, uh, who's uh, director and co-creator on the project. Uh, They've been they've been working this field for some time. So um, these are these are not folks who just uh, saw a buzzword and said, ooh, uh, or who, you know, looked at everything going online and said, now's the opportunity to throw together a show. Uh, No, this is uh, the evolution of a project that uh, is pretty, pretty important to them. And what's been great about Eschaton as a phenomenon is it. Does manage to transcend the platforms uh, that by putting them into dialogue, it creates something more, uh, which whether we're talking about uh, immersive uh, technique or, you know, to go back to the old transmedia days, the idea of like multiple platforms in order to create a story or experience, uh, you know, that's what, that's what you want. That's what you want to see. And they do it. Um, obviously it's still, performers in their own spaces when it comes to the video and it's, you know, a a hand coded HTML site. So it's, it's a, it's a DIY project that doesn't have a ton of resources thrown at it, but they understand the magic of immersive. What, what makes it uh, all go uh, the, the connective tissue between, Ideas and characters and moments and scenes and a sense of space and place uh, that is that eludes so many, uh, and that they're managing to do it online is really impressive. So, let's get into the interview, and I'll see you on the other side. <music> The transition into actually doing the show is always like, the most awkward thing for me. It's like, <laughs> all right. And now do the radio thing. Let's talk um, about stuff. <laughs> yeah. Brittany and Taylor, thank you for joining us today. Uh, we, this was going to be the discord. We had some issues. So sadly, no, no live audience this time. Um, for those who haven't experienced Escaton yet. uh what what is it as it exists now? Because I want to get into like what it you know, its development, et cetera. I have lots of questions. But but what is it right now?
1: Brittany, you want to take that or you want me to?
2: Why don't you take it? I'm curious to hear your thoughts. <laughs>
1: uh, <laughs> what is eschaton right now? Right now, eschaton is a piece of virtual immersive theater that's three buzzwords all with very uh you know disparate and loose definitions but i think i think it's it's accurate it is a piece of virtual immersive theater
0: in in practical terms if someone was buying a ticket for eschaton what what is it that they would encounter like what's the what's the elevator pitch here? Because like you could we can turn to our audience and like say it's a virtual immersive theater and their their brains are gonna you know go oh I got a, a, an idea, but for for a layman what what would they what would they be thinking of it as?
1: Eschaton is our attempt at um, taking a physical space a physical warehouse uh, and making a virtual warehouse with uh, dozens of virtual rooms inside of it that can all be explored with complete agency by audience members who navigate through this virtual space room by room by room. And they explore the narrative and many different kinds of performance and um, a whole branch of, of puzzles and mystery uh, for them to explore as they continue to discover the expanding world of Eschaton.
2: See, I knew you'd have a great answer. That's why I give you the mic. <laughs> <laughs> now, as I've come
0: to understand it, the project was in development before pandemic twenty twenty, uh, which I was going to give it like a cutesy uh, subtitle, but no, yeah. I'm not I'm not going to. Uh, I mean, I'm in a good mood today, but not that good of a mood. Um, so, w- what was the trajectory here? Because um, I, I got to say, the the piece itself, which. Manifests on Saturday nights is an hour long. Um, it feels feels tight even in its looseness. Um, uh, it 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 did not feel like something that was hastily cobbled together uh, in a couple of weeks. And as I've come to understand, it really wasn't hastily cobbled together in a couple of weeks. Like this thing was this thing was baking for a yeah. while.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. So the little bit of backstory is that Tessa and I um, started working on Eschaton, or what is now called Eschaton, has gone by many names over the last year, about a year and a half ago. And uh, at the time, we were super interested in exploring what did immersive theater look like um, as it related to nightlife and night entertainment, a la kind of Studio 54, Um, And so we were inspired by this idea of a permanent venue in in New York that could act as this kind of shuttered nightlife that gave voice to immersive performers. And so we were developing that for for months and months. Tessa had gone through five plus different script iterations. Tessa is my co-creator with with Taylor and I and and, uh, artistic director, of course, productions uh, and the writer of the show. And uh, so she had gone through five different script iterations and we had been kind of closing in on some real estate choices. And that's when uh, pandemic 2020 hit. Um, and we had been talking to Taylor for a little bit about hosting a uh, a workshop for us. We had met Taylor on one of his projects a while back um, and we just decided to continue the creative development. We were already kind of um, aiming towards a workshop. And so we just decided to transition and say, hey, you know, does, is there a world where immersive entertainment can continue in post-pandemic world? Um, and mm-hmm. so we just kind of continued on the same path and kept iterating and kept iterating to get where it is today. But no, there's never really, it was never really a a, a, a piecing together of anything. It's just more been an evolution that didn't pause when pandemic hit.
0: How how much of the vibe of what you were going for do you feel is manifested itself through the the digital form? because uh, I think the a thing that so many people struggle with is, you know, video chat, Zoom in particular, uh is is this, it's a window, it's this barrier that's while well, on the one hand lets us you know, see each other it also keeps us all apart and by its very nature uh, immersive is about busting through those barriers and having the freedom to to move about so translating this very dynamic form into something that's a, a lot more static uh, is a challenge and and what I find interesting about what you've done is I get, you know, h- hints of those notes, like the, the, there's the, the feeling of exploring a space, even though it's a video and it's a website, it's still there. So I'm, I'm wondering how much of, of it, of what you've done, do you feel is translating and and if there's something you found in the gap between these tools that lets you draw that sense out.
1: Well, I'll say that this is kind of the core question we have continued to ask. It is obviously um, a challenge. I mean, how can you immerse someone when you cannot make it outside their computer screen? How can you immerse someone when you cannot take them outside of their apartment or their living room or really have any human to human contact with them at all? I mean, we are in the the highest level of constraint um, that I could have possibly imagined trying to create a piece of immersive theater within. Um, and so there, you know, this, this question is one that we, we like play ping pong with on a weekly basis and continue mm-hmm. to use as a developmental tool for the show. I will say that immersive in its current form it has a lot of different definitions and there are not just two or three tools that make a show immersive, but there are a lot, you know, there are a lot of different tools that we can use. And it's about how you enact these applications to make it feel from an audience perspective, like there is a sense of exploration and expansion and agency that makes a show kind of quote unquote immersive in its modern definition um which is different than than the definition that you know started to exist when Sleep No More hit the scene that was a a show where audience members were not only given a a great deal of agency but also the opportunity to explore a set from the inside of it what they were immersed in was the set and the story itself audience um, audience members brush shoulders with performers you can touch things you can pick things up we know all this so if we if we get rid of all of those things, if we're not able to use any of that, then how can we convincingly convey the experience of that without having any access to those things?
2: And yeah, I mean, if I could tack on one thing there, yeah, go yeah ahead. I think Taylor, just just to to affirm that, I also think kind of going off this idea of you know immersive theater is this binary that is. Uh, ambiguous. You know, it, 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 it fluctuates in terms of definition. I'd also say that in an evolution of theater, immersive as evolution of a theater genre, we're also an evolution that just meets audiences where they are. You know, it, it's not immersive theater as defined 10 years ago by Punch Drunk. Um, it's immersive theater as defined by Pandemic 2020. And uh, that includes, like, I'd say it's, it's part theater, part computer game, part video uh, or movie or cinema experience. Uh, It kind of meets audiences exactly where they are, which is a combination of all those different elements. So we're inspired just as much by a bunch of video games, and computer games that we all grew up with. We have a game designer on this, as Taylor said, deep world of puzzles, um, as well as we are um, surrealist cinema and, and, uh, and getting the shots right from a cinematic perspective. It just, it takes a lot of different pieces to really immerse people via virtual Zoom experience.
0: That bringing together of different disciplines I think is one of the the core hallmarks of this movement as a whole right like it's when you when you start bringing together folks who are puzzle makers and dancers and filmmakers and set designers and architects like suddenly exploring what the essential elements of each of of these disciplines are and how they can talk to each other across their fields is when the work often feels most exciting to me. And, and it also is when you start to kind of find what the essential elements are. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if these constraints have as part of your development process here have identified any, any things in terms of how you relate to the audience that feel even more essential than what you were thinking about when you were designing for physical space.
1: I would say that uh, it it has been a continued lesson in efficiency and Mm. how often less really is more. Uh, Dramatic tension exists when you take away the distractions and you highlight a single experience and you're able to give someone that single experience one spotlight, a lone stage, nothing else. That's a moment. If you have all of these other things going on, then they get buried in the mix of this. And you say essential elements, which is a really, a very very spot on phrase because as a storyteller, there's a difference between uh, a group of people at a campfire and one person telling a story and that same group of people at a campfire doing a Mad Lib together. They can all, both of those experiences are enjoyable but they are very different experiences. And so having a really clear direction of what is meant to be happening here, who the storyteller is, whether it's us or whether it is in tandem with the audience, is uh, a vital conversation.
0: How, your approach feels like it is layered with a little bit of take it or leave it like it's entirely possible <laughs> to like just go through treat this like surrealist chat roulette um and you know catch catch some oddball vaudeville acts having you know an experiential performance cavalcade for an hour and go on your merry way but then there is the puzzles and there there do seem to be Connective tissue uh, between the different rooms. Um, yeah, could, talk, could you talk to that a little bit? Like, how, how, like, you know, who are you designing for intentionally for different types of audience when you do that? Are you emerging the story more as you iterate? I'm, I'm really, I'm really fascinated by like what things are happy accidents. And which things are uh, diabolical designs?
2: Let's go with everything is a di, di- diabolical design. Um, okay. <laughs> um, but but no, I think it's interesting. You know, Escaton is a surrealist nightclub. It is a shuttered nightclub that we have created that lives virtually and comes alive one hour every week and disappears. You know, that is essentially what it is, and the experience that you have in it as an audience member, where you're whether you're navigating through three rooms or 10 rooms or whoever knows, you know, how, how many rooms you end up ending uh, in a night, it, it is meant to be this kind of purely individual experience. Um, and, and it is a universe that we hope feels never ending. And it does, we have, I know you actually know personally, Jay Lee, who's our game designer. Um, she, is building, she is building new puzzles week to week. And we have people who are kind of Trying to edge up and and get to the end of the world, but we hope and and will continue to make it so that the world is never ending and there is a depth to it that you can't uncover um especially not in one night so let's let's go with it's all diabolical and uh and <laughs> <laughs> though the happy accidents are a big part of the art as well
0: yeah we oh, go for it, here.
1: yeah um just to 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 tag a little bit more into that because I totally agree with Brittany. Our responsibility here as storytellers is not to spoon feed one single storyline or one single narrative or one single audience experience. It is instead to provide a vast expanse of opportunities for audience members to explore at their own pace. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And in that way, it is a little bit take it or leave it because your power as an audience member is your choice and what you choose matters. And that's the moral of every immersive piece. That is what you are meant to take away, in in my humble opinion. That is what you are meant to take away from this genre as a citizen of the world. What you choose to do makes a difference, period. That's important. And that's as much uh, defining of immersive work as proximity to performers is. The fact that you have control of your own experience. So it's this vast expanse. Explore it or don't. Take it or leave it. Honestly, we don't care. But the more that you put into it, the more you're going to get out of it.
2: Yeah. And on your point about who are we making it for? Everybody. That's kind of the point is that it it is a space that is uh, we have people who are puzzlers who return literally every single week. And there's now like groups that meet after the show to kind of compare notes on the puzzlers uh, puzzle pieces. And there's some people who will park in one performer's room every single week and will never leave. And that is the full experience. And they're both kind of perfect experiences as far as like eschaton goes. uh, Because it is a place where it's meant to just uh, be for whatever purpose you need that night.
0: Were you guys always intending on it, even in the physical form, just being an hour long? Because there's something kind of hot about how you've just got this little sliver of time. And it creates... On the one hand, a kind of anxiety, but also a relief in knowing that you're you're never going to catch it all in one go because of that one hour. But is that something that's an artifact of its current incarnation?
2: It's a really good question. Um, it it definitely is um, an artifact of 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 what we built here. It was when we were originally making it. We almost wanted it to be a 24 hour hotspot where you could kind of go in and see something different happening at every time. For this piece, especially given the fact uh, that it does live online, uh, there was something magical about this idea that it only exists for, you know, for 60 minutes exactly, and then it disappears. Um, And especially given the fact that so much of the show is about the performer experience and the fact that this is a shuttered nightclub filled with performers that haven't seen an audience in, in, you know, in a long time is kind of the context behind it. Yeah. And, uh, At the beginning it was like you. a few
0: weeks and now it's been like months. Yes. Like I imagine <laughs> yes. that, that element of ennui that's baked into the into your world building is only yes. deepening the longer it we It really can. has.
2: I mean, I think ironically that piece was already part of the script before uh, the pandemic came about. It was always a piece about the performer experience and what does it mean to have an audience. Um, And what does it mean to not have an audience? Are you still a performer? And that dichotomy. Um, And all of a sudden, when the pandemic hit, that just became much, much more relevant and interesting. And there was something about this magic moment of, of bringing audience to performer for a limited time and then knowing that it will end and knowing that it is fleeting. Um, that experience is fleeting just made it seem so much more magical and I'm a a big Harry Potter kid and I grew up in that world and this idea of the room of requirement and these places that can only be given to you if you come with the right intention or at the right time um, just always stuck with me and I think that's what we wanted to bring to audiences right now
1: for sure there's also like tiny little peek behind the curtain here (laughs) uh simple production constraints the fact that, like, we owe so much to each of the performers who are doing the show on a weekly basis because they are their own set decorators, they are their own costumers, they are their own makeup artists, lighting artists, uh, sound designers, and broadcast studios. So, like, there is only so much you can ask, and, and in addition to all of that, there is the fact that, like, this was originally a workshop which meant that like we didn't have a a creative process where we were able to say, okay, let's spend eight months creating 30 hours of material and learning all of it. It's like, okay, who can bring what to the table? What do you do? What are your talents? Okay. Can we cobble this together? Let's make a 30 minute loop out of that. Let's make an hour loop out of that. So like to ask people to be like, all right, can you come up with a two hour show on your own and like we'll rehearse it in a couple hours. It's just like, you're going to end up with way, way worse material that way.
0: Oh yeah. The, 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 The pragmatic side of it is, is huge. Yeah, it's it's that that's that's a massive factor. Well, and and let's talk a little bit about the the, the tools and the technology here uh, because you're you're using Zoom for the video, and then you've got a you've got a a, a website that's you know coded like a, a normal website mm-hmm. with a you know little some unlockable stuff when it comes to the puzzles. How, how, where are the sticking points, right? Like, you know, how much of a pain in the ass is it to run something this elaborate on Zoom, particularly because (laughs) you've got, you've got people jumping in, dropping off codes to go to the different rooms. Like, uh, you know, any, any ho, any performer, like, yes, they're hosting their own, their own setup. That's kind of, you know. An obvious thing, but then coordinating it all—what's mm-hmm. uh, what the hell is that like? And uh, are at this point are you are you frustrated uh, by the the limits of the tools,
1: Brittany?
2: I mean, it's, it's, it's massively confusing. You know, we're all, uh, we're all theater people kind of at our core. We are not, uh, technically advanced and yet we have become zoom experts over the last two months. I wish my, my co-creator Tessa was here with us as well. She's become like our zoom, uh, Concierge. She shows up to every rehearsal, and she knows all about background sound and how to spotlight the uh, the uh, performer. And you know, there's there's a Zoom is a pretty comprehensive tool. It is interesting because it's obviously not made for the purposes that we're using it, but we have (laughs) mined it for everything that it's worth. You know, we we use every single tool on there. Um, But it is a little bit of a race to the finish because as we started this out, Zoom was also trying to figure out how to make sure that. People don't misuse the tool. Um, And to be clear, we're we're very much in guidelines with everything with Zoom, but uh, security measures have changed dramatically week to week in the way that we've used it. We've had shows where all of a sudden we get on there and the navigation system that we had constructed completely became obsolete. Uh, because mm. of security measures that Zoom had put in. And so we've had to be very quick on our feet during shows to figure out how can we fix things in real time. Um, and that's why the the website has become such a central piece of this work as well, is we can take as much off of Zoom as we can. Zoom is one of the only, and we've done a ton of research on this, one of the only and the best two-way video platform right now. Um, there are others Especially that are trying groups. to make their yeah. way out there. Yeah, for groups. Um, and it's, it's, there are others that are trying to kind of make their way out there right now, but it really is pretty isolated and there's a little bit of a monopoly there. Um, and yeah. so the two way video piece that kind of has to remain on zoom, but there's a lot of more that you can do, especially if we do start thinking about this as a computer game. And I kind of refer back to, you know, more old style computer games, even than what we're used to now. Um, computer games from the nineties and two thousands were, were pretty influenced by like, the Uh, the Rudian room and some of the old uh, escape rooms online as well. And kind of what this idea is, what can you use online platforms uh, to elevate the experience and to become a two-dimensional to three-dimensional experience um, with the, with, with the website. So that's, that's really kind of how we've navigated is get off zoom as much as possible.
1: Yeah. It's also been a a really interesting creative um, uh, problem. Isn't the right word, but consideration perhaps that is very much in the immersive world. If you talk about a piece of traditional proscenium-based theater, it happens inside a theater. When an audience member buys their ticket, they know they're going to a theater. Let's take Broadway for an instance, right? They know they're going to Times Square. They're going to walk up to a space that has a big marquee out front. They're going to walk into the lobby. They're going to sit down in some plush velvet seats, yada, yada, yada. The experience is nearly identical every time. But when you have immersive work, you have this vast opportunity to change that, to change the context of everything that your audience is about to experience. And that happens from the first time they hear about the show, goes through the ticket buying experience and goes through, you know, them, if this were a live show, receiving an address in a neighborhood that they are perhaps unfamiliar with, navigating their way to this space, seeing what the space looks like outside. It's probably not a theater. Is it a brick warehouse? Is it a factory? Is it a home? What does it look like? Is there a a painted sign? Is there a neon sign? Is it fully unmarked? When they get inside, what does it look like? What does it feel like? And so like at the end of the day, the Zoom windows we have buried within this experience as deep as we can so that by the time you get there, you've already gone through all of the contextual legwork to understand this world a little bit. Mm -hmm. And it's it's an effort in transporting the audience which is, again, an immersive experience, transporting them into this show in a way that is unexpected, theatrical, dramatic, and, like, meaningful, exists within its own world. The last thing we wanted to do was say, come to our immersive show. Here's this Zoom link. Click to enter. It's like, yeah. cl- come on, you know? Yeah, yeah.
0: No, the the, the prospect itself, like, it's bleak bro it's bleak yeah oh i spent i spent five years in monday meetings in zoom
1: uh, right you can't recontextualize that instantaneously and be like oh yeah this show will be fun it'll feel like a monday meeting
0: yeah i was very thankful that they had undergone some kind of major ui overhaul since the last time i joined one of those meetings like nine months ago so that that was great uh, i was like oh it doesn't look like it used to anymore that's helpful yeah
1: not triggering um, in any way
0: yeah um but but this it was interesting cuz in that first month you know you guys you guys had the way you were doing it and then the folks at the night market were mm-hmm. um you know they they had they were using kind of a a grid based uh um, you know, interface on, on websites, but also they did some pathfinding stuff at the start. There was a little bit of a, of a, a a website interface. That's a horrible way. It felt, it felt felt a little hypercardy, like a little old school, early nineties, you know, net stuff. Um, And I know some folks who are playing around in twine and and a few other tools in order to get this sense of, you know, building a virtual space that, you know, the it'd be like when you navigate through the McKittrick and you wind up in a room that has a stage mm-hmm. or has a, a deus or has something that's set up. And in this case, the zoom window is just that spotlight.
1: Yeah. It's yeah, exactly.
0: Um Catherine had a question about um the design process behind the more ARG-like and puzzly elements. Um specifically about how that fits into the show's overall concept. So since, since we're talking about the container of, of the, well, and I think that's even the wrong paradigm. I just said the container of the performances, but I wonder if you could talk about how you see how these elements interact. Like, is the show, the puzzle is the show, the spotlights Or is it some third thing between the two?
2: You know, I mean, it's it's unsurprisingly, it's all of it, you know, and we we talk a little bit about the role of the website and Zoom. You know, the, the experience begins, as Taylor said, the moment you buy your ticket, as any good immersive show should. And the way that you navigate into the experience and into the nightclub is as important as the way that you exit the experience out of the nightclub. And we've been very, very, very thoughtful all the way through at each point that they all are interconnected. Um, when you enter into the experience, there's, you know, you 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 see you do actually see a, a background of theater seats <laughs> that kind of feel like you are in a lobby waiting for a show to begin and in a surrealist landscape. And that's what we want it to feel like. We kind of organize that all the way across. When you ask about the puzzles, the puzzles, there is a connection. And I won't go too deep into the narrative just so we don't, with a, You'll have to come through to find out exactly why. And if you go through the puzzles, you will find out. There is there is answers to all of your questions deep inside those puzzles. Um, but it is all interconnected. It's not one world versus another world. It is the world of Eschaton, which is this strange, strange place where things seem to go wrong. And people are trying to communicate through the rafters. Um, and there's somebody missing. And they're trying to figure out where they've gone. And the only clues you can seem to find are these puzzles. And as you go through them, a lot of the narrative is entrenched in the puzzles themselves and you have to go through. And some people don't care about the narrative. And as we talked about before, like it is OK, there's no need uh, to understand the depth of the world in order to enjoy yourself there. And that was always our, our main intention with the whole thing is that it is a place where you can go. And if you're just in the mood for this one hour for this weekend to listen to somebody sing Beautifully to you. Uh, that's what you'll get. But if you want to go in and understand the depth of this world, it's there for you, and we've. It's very, very thoughtful, and the game design component is is just as important to us as the script is just as important to us as the overall design of the user experience.
0: Kevin also notes there's a rumor that you're snail mailing things
2: to people. <laughs> no comment. A- no comment, No, comment. Right. Comment. no. no comments, oh, think, but uh, raised eyebrows and a wink.
0: I think that's the answer uh, yeah. she was looking for. Yeah. Um, none of us know how long uh, we're going to be in this mode. Uh, hopefully not for the rest of our lives. So <laughs> yeah. there are times when it feels that way. Um, you know? Do you see this as a part of the development process of the physical show that you still hope to make? Do you see this as something that could carry on past the return of live entertainment? Something that could exist in tandem. I think about, you know, having a conversation with, uh, Nate Mitchell of Oculus at mm-hmm. uh, the the GDC that was on the weekend that Facebook was buying Oculus, <laughs> and we were talking, and, he, and, he, and it was Nate Mitchell who was one of the you know, co founders who's who said, "Whoever takes Sleep No More and sticks it into this, meaning their headset, wins." Like that's like a direct quote. And no one is still stuck Sleep No More inside of a of a headset yet, but there's definitely this this move towards how do we take immersive theater and bring it into virtual spaces, um, which is even more exciting than the vice versa. Um, and I've always thought about what happens if things could live in tandem. So what what are you thinking right now? What...
2: Hmm. You know, it's interesting. Uh, no i think we all hope that this is not going to go on forever but i i do think if we're being realistic we know that the world is forever changed by this you know mm-hmm. it's in, we're, we're we're certainly not going to go back to a world before pandemic for lots of reasons right you know the world has just changed behavior has just changed so i think we all hope that theaters will reopen soon but I was just reading. I don't know if you saw in the Broadway briefing this morning. There was an article about um, a think tank right now that's doing work uh, with a bunch of Broadway producers to look at what a Broadway theater in post-pandemic world looks like. And they're talking. You know, they don't know is the answer right now. I think people are trying to figure it out. But they're talking about um, airflow being a new, uh, a, a new big factor in the way that you think mm. about uh, the transition of audiences and spaces. I watched a, a video of a Flaming Lips concert a couple weeks ago where every person was in bubbles. Um, yeah. um, you know, I think everyone is, has this on their mind, which is like, what is, what is theater after this? And I think our big question when we went into this is can theater, can immersive theater work in a, you know, this, this current setting. And I think the answer has been, yes, it's certainly, our, our intention has never been for Eschaton to be a replacement of in-person entertainment. Um, but the idea is, you know, what can happen? If we take away a physical space, can it still exist? And I think that's the question that we're going to keep asking. Um, Is is a physical show on the horizon? It could be if that's where the audiences go. You know, I think theater in general is always just supposed to meet audiences where they authentically are. And that's what Sleep No More did. That's what, you know, Oculus, I think, has done. (laughs) People are in different places at different times. And as the world continues to grow, we hope to meet the audience where it continues to be authentically. yeah, I think that's, that's kind of all we know at this point. I think Eschaton will continue to grow and evolve, that's for sure. And even the ver- version as you know it now will continue to grow and evolve over the next few months. Um, but physical show, you know, it's, it's, it just depends. There's a lot of benefits to a virtual show that you can't get in a physical show. Um, global audiences, you know, we don't have a physical uh, space right now, so we can invest all that money that we would have put into real estate into hiring more performers. Uh, So there's just there's a lot of benefits. And so it's just really a question of what does the world need after this? And, you know, we'll authentically try to meet that where it is.
0: How has the show grown since the beginning? Because when when I saw it, it was still technically in previews. And uh, I I get the sense that, you know, aside not that's not just the puzzle stuff that's getting more elaborate as time goes on.
2: Oh, you got to come back. Noah. it's changed a ton. (laughs) Taylor, you want to
1: take that? Sure. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it does. It changes every week. There's so much work to be done. Always. Always, always, always. And whether that is writing text for uh, characters who have already existed so that their character deepens in the world and they go from being a kind of cabaret style performance to being a main character in the mystery or or providing them secrets to have. Or, or revealing some of their backstory, or creating relationships between characters, or creating legitimate scenes where characters enter other characters' rooms. Um, the world it needs building, and that isn't just a puzzle issue. That's a that's a dramatic and narrative and and storytelling across the board issue. So it is under consistent maintenance um, and and work, and and a lot of the time that'll be new. Cast members, as Brittany said, we are constantly hiring new people and bringing on amazing new performers and then finding ways that they fit into the world so that we can continue to expand this story. Um, it, basically, it just is because we have so many audience members who love to keep coming back week in and week out. There is in some way a, a drive to make sure that like new things are there to be found. The more they get used to the world, the more we want to change the world so that they aren't too used to it because
2: then the show's boring. Yeah. And and the performers have changed. Not just the like the actual performers in the show, but this is a new performance style, right? And so mm-hmm. the performers that have been a part of this for now for two and a half months have dramatically evolved. In terms of the way that they are performing. And we just had a rehearsal, interestingly enough, with the whole cast this week where we were talking, uh, Taylor was leading it around, uh, you know, what does this performance style look like? How is it different? How are people adapting to it? And it is, it is, people are finding it fulfilling. It's interesting to be able to connect with, you know, uh, hundreds of audience members at once in a way that you can't in a physical space but it is very, very different. And so it's just taken a long time for performers to really adapt and and kind of learn the nuances of this performance style.
1: Yeah, and that's a piece of it that that just continues to change and expand every week. It was a fascinating rehearsal that we had because we have, I mean, we've got a lot of cast members who have a lot of experience in, in immersive shows of, of varying size um, and I myself also do. And so we, we, we are familiar with what it feels like to be in a space with audience members. And we're familiar with what it feels like to dial up or dial down your performance for a single individual who is six inches to your right versus a room of 250 people versus a camera versus any one of these different performance modes. And you know, we're, we're learning every week what it feels like to be communicating with a group of somewhere between one and a hundred through your single webcam uh, across the globe to people who come from all sorts of different countries, speak all sorts of different languages, have all sorts of different bases for interaction. And that's something that like, we can't master that in a week or a month or three months. That's like that takes significant research and development,
0: and and a lot of it just trial and error.
1: Yeah, you just got to keep doing it.
0: Yeah, and and that's that's been along the thing that's most interested me about immersive as a whole is the performance discipline of it and the way that I love that when you were talking about you know you know, you got someone who's like six inches to your right versus, you know, for 200 people in a room versus, you know, for a camera and, you know, the, the, the modes that a uh, immersive performer gets into goes from that intimacy of the close up to, you know, the, the, the pure spectacle of, you know, a, a giant Julie Tamor level stage. And the, the dynamics you can find in a single show when you get to have all that mm-hmm. is one of the things that makes the form exhilarating. Um, all too often, for various reasons, too many shows are constrained and they they only give you kind of one mode of it. Uh, but, but being able to dial up and dial down the scope and here we are with yet another form and there just seems to be the 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 number one thing that experience performers and immersive can can give to any production is they just get so adaptable. Yep. Um. Just just absolutely. Um. Because they relish they relish the ch- is is do you find that there's like a that there's that there's some common traits amongst immersive performers that kind of lean that way. Like that there's there's a certain kind of spark.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Uh, George Bernard Shaw talks about some of his main characters having what he describes as a spark of brilliance. They are the people who say things that on the face of them seem utterly counterintuitive and are questioned for these things that they say. They're usually highly controversial monologues. And then they just go through the logic of it and end up back at the top of it again. And every other character has been convinced that like, wow, that really is the only way to think about it. If you think about it logically, which is not this, like that, that same spark of brilliance is not a thing that, you know, that many immersive that's it's, it's a different spark of brilliance, but I do love Mm -hmm. that term because I think that it does exist. I describe it as kind of a, I, I, I still have not landed on the proper term for it. It, is, uh, it has something to do with status. It has something to do with authority. What I really believe at the core of it is uh, a basis of self-love. It is hmm. uh, an ability to, to refuse judgment. And therefore, audience members look to you to tell them what appropriate behavior is in the space. And so it's, this, it's, a, it's a, a, a firm stance of self-knowledge. And that's what makes somebody a compelling and magnetic, immersive performer. Because you'll walk into the room with them, and it is everyone there is in immediate agreement that there is one person to listen to. And the reason that this is the person to listen to is because it must be. Hmm.
2: That's beautiful, Taylor.
0: Yes, it's. I I'm flashing to. The moment, and this this was the moment for me. I've talked about on the show before, where I I realized that immersive theater had so much to teach VR, and it's the moment in Sleep No More, uh, sort of that first great gathering downstairs. And I mean, I'm sure you know you guys know this one really well. You know every. People are following the characters they've been following for like the first part of the rotation, and each character comes in and has a little moment with Lady M. Yeah, uh,
1: at the party. And
0: yeah, and you just start to feel the power of the room coalesce around her uh, as there's more and more people are connecting with her. Just whatever whatever entourage they brought in, they're they're throwing that attention onto her and at the critical moment she throws the attention up to Make the that. mezzanine. Yep. And yeah, Mackers is there and you can watch the whole room follow her
1: gaze. Turn and look.
0: Yeah, cuz they've they've made it it's a it's a little magic spell um of just those those dynamics that happen socially. And we also talk a lot about from the the audience perspective about the sense of presence and chasing that feeling that you're really there. And anchoring that so often is that performer who feels really present, um, who's who's in that moment, and they're they're the anchor for that reality. Um,
1: which, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Oh no, please. I was just going to say an an interesting thing about that scene that you're describing is that, um, as you've said, all of these characters, not everybody in the show, but you know, a, a, a significant percentage of them, 8 or 10 out of 20-ish, come down to this room. And they they've come from all of these different smaller scenes. And as they move through the space uh, with their small but growing entourages of audience members following behind them, kind of swelling behind them, Uh, exactly as you've said, there's a spell that happens. And so let's say there is somebody, uh, uh, Danvers is coming from the hotel lobby and she's got 10 people following her or 15 people following her. And you know, there are ten other characters that are all coming from other smaller spaces, and they each have ten or fifteen people following them. And then they all coalesce into the ballroom, and then you've got two hundred and fifty or three hundred audience members. And every one of those audience members has followed a performer into that space, except the ones who are already there. But the majority of them followed somebody there. So in in their mind, that's their leader, that's their authority, that's the person, that's the performer that they feel they have a personal connection to in that scene. And then you see exactly as you've just said, each one of these characters go through and kind of pour that authority into Lady Macbeth's authority cup. And so all of these audience members who their personal leader was uh, Lady Macduff, now we see the interaction between Lady Macbeth and Lady Macduff, and we see that Lady Macbeth has authority over Lady Macduff, and therefore you efficiently transferred the authority from one character to another and all of those audience members now belong to lady M. And then she's the only person that needs to look up at Macbeth because she now is in control of all of the audience members there. Is this a crazy tangent or are we all on the same page
2: here? (laughs) No, no, no. Like
0: it's, it's, you know, that moment was just such a stunning bit of stagecraft. And I, I think also talks to the idea of creating a space through the relationships of the people. Yes. And you've got the dynamics of the physical space, but I could also imagine that working in a flat warehouse production, you know, it's a little like just as so long as there's enough room to get Macker's, um isolatedly visible you could still draw all that spotlight with with just that same dynamic and this idea of a space reflects the relationships that happen both both shapes and reflects the relationships that are going on inside of it and oh please
1: I I think that it has something to do with the space, definitely. I would also argue that it has perhaps as much to do with the order in which audience members receive information. And really in in immersive work, that is how a story is told for any individual audience member, one piece of information followed by a second, followed by a third, followed by a fourth, all, you know, for, for hours. And that is how each individual receives their story. And so, yes, it is a structural moment when Macbeth is elevated on the mezzanine. There's a spotlight, it's the thing, for sure. But it has, in my mind, as much to do with the order, um, the order of information that audience members received up until that point.
0: Yeah, you know, a a series of revelations, mm-hmm. a series of, of revealings. That's the same thing. I just said the same thing twice uh, that start to make up the image of what this world actually is and, and the way you orient people into the world. One of the things I think that you guys do that's so good is the on and the off board for this, the book ends on this experience. Um, and, and particularly because like the, the offboarding of, of many an immersive show, like when, when someone sticks the landing on that, it's just such a wonderful, almost like bittersweet moment because on the one hand you're like, Oh, that was, that's a great sign off. And on the other hand, you're like, I don't want to leave because <laughs> there's this, there's this, this great, you know that 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 on we is still you know tapped into um how how much did you know you wanted to nail the on and the offboarding how important was that to your your thoughts around the experience design
2: oh that was it was it was paramount i mean it's exactly what you said it's i it goes back to what i was saying about what immersive theater kind of what good immersive theater looks like to me. Um, You know, it's about, one, the full experience, the moment you get your ticket until the moment, until the experience finishes. But it's also about, you know, your role in that and feeling like there's a cohesion and a completion to that. So you can't really have, you know, one, it's, it's a story at the end of the day, and there is a beginning and middle and end, even if it is episodic, even if there is something that you come back to each week and it changes each week. But there is a sense of peace in knowing that, even though everything inside is always going to be different, you're always gonna see the same person and the, hear the same voice to start it and the same thing with the ending. There's there's something complete mm. about that that even while things are variable, the the completeness of it feels uh stable. And so as long as you can you know that's gonna be there, everything else can kind of take on its own life.
0: Dig it. Definitely yeah. totally. dig it. Totally. We've been at this for almost an hour now, uh, so I, I'm sure we got places to go. Theoretically, <laughs> virtually places to go. Um, wow, phrases that don't work anymore. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, for folks who want to catch up uh, and want to want to explore Escaton, I know that it tends to book out a couple of weeks in advance. So where where should they uh, point their browsers?
2: Point their browsers to ChorusProductions.com. Uh, and that will take you straight into our ticketing website. And, uh, it does book out a couple weeks in advance, but we are actually launching some new tickets, uh, next week, um, which will come along with a, a fun little Easter egg attached to them as well. So, um, oh, cool. don't be afraid to get in there now and try to get in for some future weeks because there will always be an avenue for you to join es- Escaton.
0: Oh, I like it. I like it. Yeah smart. I'm going to, I'm going to shut the quarter off and then ask what the heck you're talking about. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Brittany and Taylor, thank you both so much for uh, taking the time to talk to me today.
1: Our, Our pleasure. Thank you, Thanks for having us. <laughs>
0: Once again, I want to thank Brittany and Taylor for being our guests on the show. Check it out at courseproductions.com. Um Hi there. Uh, it's our time now. Uh, I I don't I don't have any great fire in me at the moment, so don't don't expect you know a thing. Um, I, I, I uh, programming notes I think is what I, I want to address. Um, so here's here's what's up um uh, there's a lot of great work going on, on the site right now like amazing work uh Catherine is kicking so much butt uh kevin has <laughs> like done three reviews this week um just 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 diving in uh, Hunt a hunter killer uh, a piece on my confidant uh, wrangling the arcana pieces uh, just everyone's firing on all circuits uh, members of the team are, are, are other, doing other fun stuff. Ozzy has been doing this uh, whole uh, YouTube video interview thing for like about a month now, uh, you know, on her own time. Uh, and that's that's really fun. Uh, if, if you if you like if you like more interviews and you like to see people's faces, it's a it's a really good option for you. Um, there's a recent one with uh, Siobhan O'Laughlin. Uh, I happen to like Siobhan so, as a human being, so I was like, oh, I got to watch Siobhan. It's always great. Um, note to self, I should probably just call Siobhan. Um, what else is up in the world? Um, uh, uh, social media is terrible. <laughs> I'm addicted to it. I've been addicted to it forever. Um, I've been on Twitter for 13 years now, I think it is. It's a really long time. Uh, yeah, 13 years uh 2007 um I, I i can still remember the first time i found out that someone i know i knew had died um when when i was using twitter or via twitter it was rory root the owner of comic relief in berkeley and um i i saw it because i was i think i was only following maybe a dozen people on twitter at the time but most of those people were comic book writers or comic book aficionados and Rory had been such a big part of um, comic books uh, in, not just in the Bay area, but as a culture that uh, the the world just spread like wildfire. I was working the front desk of the Mill Valley film festival in the California film Institute. And I saw it and just a a shock went through me and (laughs) Many more shock would, would go through me in the times uh, sense. Um We have a lot of platforms here at NoPro. Uh, we've got the website, our Slack, uh, the Here Discord, which we keep on trying to record episodes in and keeps on failing us, so apologies for that. Um, we've got our Facebook and our Instagram and our Twitter And you got to understand, I'm the kind of person who wakes up and the first thing I do is I look at Twitter. I look to see what atrocities have occurred. Uh, I feel compelled to know what's going on in the world. And that's just not healthy. Um, So the program note is this. Uh, I'm taking the next week off of social media, personally. Uh, The no pro social media, Catherine uh, pushed out a lot of that, so it won't be affected too much. Uh, Kind of split the duties on Facebook so uh we'll still push things out. Um this also means that uh I won't really be engaging with the e i group on Facebook. um so I'm gonna <laughs> tell hi hi, other moderators. uh I'm not gonna be in there. um it, the e i group tends to be pretty good, um so i'm not I'm not worried about that, um just you know. If something if something occurs, it'll it'll fall to somebody else uh, to deal with. Um, and honestly, if someone does something egregious and I have to go jump back into Facebook because of uh, something on EI, well, let's just say the ban hammer will just be I'll just ban anybody. Boom, 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 done. You know, um, <laughs> harsher punishments is that simple. See, easy problem. I will be on. Uh, I'm going to try. I'm going to try be on the slack and on the discord more because it is still important to connect with folks. And I just want to sort of switch gears. So we're going to, you know, try, I will personally try using those platforms. Uh, it's a little more essential to my, uh, my, my internet consumption. I'm still going to be, I still look at plenty of news sites, etc. Like I'm not shutting off my connection to the world by any means, but I just know that I spend too much time doom scrolling and I'm just caught in some pretty, pretty bad loops. And I, I often, after like a, a, a an intense period of, um, of action online, I have to uh, step away for a while because I get, I get caught into loops. So yeah. Um, sabbatical uh, week long starting tomorrow on Saturday. Uh, you you won't be seeing me on the socials for a hot minute. Um, if you feel like connecting, uh, and I know I will, uh, hit us up on the Slack. Hit us up on um, hit us up on the Discord. Those will be open, and communication will be going. And what I hope is that by doing this, I can get back into a mode of using Twitter and Facebook more effectively. Um, there's a a good kind of relationship for someone with my responsibilities to have to those tools. And uh, right now I don't have that good relationship. So that's the programming note. Um, there's probably going to be a bit more philosophy in it, but uh, there's been like random construction stuff happening during the entire time I've been trying to record this. So I had to take a break in a phone call. Um, there's, plenty more material uh coming up for us uh there's some like that's the other thing is like hopefully by doing this i will get some real freaking writing done uh i owe at least one review and there's some there's some bigger thoughts that need to go and there's focusing on getting uh the ei site uh to where we want it to be there's some copywriting for that that i gotta do there's some you know tax stuff that needs doing so yeah um the thing that i can cut out most easily for the next week is freaking twitter and facebook so on that note, let's go get some work done. Um, let's get some reading done. Let's uh, discover new worlds, new ideas. Most importantly, make some new relationships. And I will see you all um, on the other side of my. Well, um, not even that. Come literally, no. Like, don't, don't just uh, you know, come on out. Come on out to the to the Discord and to the Slack. Uh, I want to see you. I want to talk to you. I want to. I want to hang out with you in a place uh, that is. <laughs> this is so damn toxic. Uh, make our own spaces, um, and th- that's a that's a big part, I think, of what we all need to be doing uh, in the next few months is making our own spaces and creating some resiliency and not just um, not just us standing in a hurricane all the time. All right. So that's what's up with that. Once again, I want to thank everyone who does back us on Patreon. Uh, there's 333 of you. Uh, we, I, you know, couldn't be doing any of this without you. Uh, so thank you so much. Our sustaining backers are Mark Baltazar, Jan Budman, Paul F., Lonnie Hansen, Ari Hurston, Sam Kinkin, Samuel Mystery, Sydney Guillory, Jeremy Charles Hahn, Brittany, and Elaine. And, of course, you can join them at patreon.com slash no The music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. Find everything we do at noproscenium.com. And to search the latest listings in all things immersive, go to everythingimmersive.com. Until next time, I'm Noah Nelson. Wear the mask.